got different parts. The kids are on the other side, we, and I'm, I'm over here. So I'm thankful for that. But good to be back at Harvest House. Listen, I'm not going to go just through the motions, but I am going to try to minister in the Holy Ghost. Because I believe that God's given me a word, and, uh, and I'm going to share it with you. You ready? Amen. So good to be back with you guys. You know I love you. Last time I was here, Sister Orton was uh, giving me some grief because I wasn't coming up this way. But here, I'm going to come two times this time. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 17. Amen. Acts chapter 17. And then we're going to read through verse 21. Amen. Y'all just came off of revival services, anniversary services, and you know how I do. I'll let Doug White, Bishop, I'll let him do the preaching. Because I let preachers preach, and I'm, I'm just going to talk. Amen. Is that all right? Because this, this verse of Scripture is about how I feel right about now. I'm going to share it with you. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him, Paul, and some said, what will this babbler say? That's about how I feel about right now. What is he going to say? And others, or other, some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods. And because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him unto Aragopas, saying, May we know what this new doctrine thereof thou speakest is. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know therefore what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing they 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 were listening because paul was preaching something they never heard before and they want to know what this new doctrine is i'm going to preach tonight if i could have a second title that that i would give a, a subtitle it would have been this a new doctrine i'm gonna preach a new doctrine tonight but that scare most folks so i didn't title it that So I just, I'm going to preach to you tonight about nothing new. Nothing new. Would you pray with me? Just help me pray. Would you do it? Because I know we're, there's just a few of us, but I believe that we can pray and God can still hear us right now. So would you pray? Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I need you. I need your help, oh God. Help me to articulate the words, oh God, the revelation, the understanding. I pray let your anointing, oh God, carry the word to the very hearts, oh God, of your people. I pray let it sink down deep in their ear. Let there be a faith for the ministry, oh God, be in this house so that we can have have what you want us to have and be what you want us to be. I bind every hindering spirit. I pray dissolve every doubt in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Somebody said in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. Y'all are killing me down here, down south. My goodness. Ah. 
It's like I, yeah, I, I'm, ooh, man. Down south, the, them allergies. I didn't have allergies until I was about 30 years old. Then everything went crazy. And then I come down south. I like where I live up north. Yeah, I do. Okay. I said all that to say this. Paul encountered some folks at Athens that they gave themselves to nothing else but to hear some new thing. That's what excited them. Just to hear some new thing. And when Paul came, they, others were like, man, what, what is this babbler going to say? What? And they just wanted to hear. They'd let anybody speak. Just come on, we want something new. And, they invite, and their appetite, their desire was just simply and solely for something new to excite them, to entice them, and to somehow satisfy this hunger for something new. But... I was reading, and I'm going to share a little bit like how I study. Because as I was reading in Ecclesiastes, it is Solomon, the wise man, who who has now become a, a diswrought preacher. He is frustrated with people. Let me just say this. This might minister. People. Thing about people. People are people. And we're all people. Remember that, okay, because people are frustrating. And Paul or, or Solomon had become so frustrated with just life because he had seen it all. And as he, we begin to read in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, you find out that he says this. I've got it written down. Watch this. Ecclesiastes 1 and 9, he says, The thing that hath been is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. There is no new thing under the sun. Is there anything whereof it may be said, See, this is new. It hath already been of old time, which was before us. He's saying, you know what? The thing that hath been is the thing that will be. He said, there's truly no new thing. He said, watch. He said, he, there's nothing that you can look at and you can say, see, this is new. He said, that doesn't, there is no new thing. He makes the argument under the sun. One translation says it like this. Ecclesiastes 1 and 9, the New Living Translation says, history merely repeats itself it has all been done before nothing under the sun is truly new how discouraging for the epicureans and the stoics the athenians and the strangers that they gave themselves to nothing else but something new but the disrot preacher with all of his heavenly wisdom knows there's nothing new there's, sorry there's nothing that can satisfy this world's hunger for something new. 
that's under the sun. He said, history merely repeats itself. I've got some cool things that I looked up. I usually don't use stuff like this just because I believe the Bible is a good enough source material that I don't really use a lot of stories. But I had to use this because history merely repeats itself. And I'm going to reinforce the disrot preacher's uh, declarations here. Because did you know in Napoleon, when he was born in, in 1760, exactly 129 years later, Hitler was born in 1889. But Napoleon came to power in 1804. And Hitler came to power exactly 129 years later in 1933. Napoleon came to Vienna in 1812. And exactly 129 years later, Hitler came to Vienna, the same country, in 1941. Napoleon lost the war in 1816. Hitler lost his war 129 years later in 1945. Now notice how history repeats itself because nothing's new. It's just the same old thing. What happened before will just happen again. That's just what it is. Both came to power when they were 44. Both attacked Russia when they were 52. Both lost the war when they were 56 years old. Now, these are just two events that I'm going to talk about, but although the pattern is quite terrifying, listen to this. Abraham Lincoln, you, you might have heard this or seen it on the internet. I'm not too smart. I just found it on Facebook. But Abraham Lincoln was elected to Congress in, in 1846. A hundred years later, John F. Kennedy was elected to Congress in 1946, just a hundred years later. Abraham Lincoln was elected president in 1860, John F. Kennedy was elected president in 1960. Both were particularly concerned with civil rights. Both wives lost a child while, they, while living in the White House. Both presidents were shot on a Friday. But now it gets really weird. Lincoln's secretary was named Kennedy. And Kennedy's secretary was named Lincoln. Now, both were assassinated by Southerners. I'll just let that sink in. But also, both were succeeded by Southerners named Johnson. Andrew Johnson, who succeeded Lincoln, was born in 1808. But Lyndon Johnson, who succeeded Kennedy, was born in 1908. You ready? John Wilkes Booth, was assassinated, who assassinated Lincoln, was born in 1839. Lee Harvey Oswald, was assassinated, who assassinated Kennedy, was born in 1939. 100-year difference, once again. But Lee Harvey Oswald and John Wilkes Booth, both assassins were known by their three names. Both names are compiled of 15 letters. It just it keeps getting weirder. Now hang on to your seat or your pew. Lincoln was shot at a theater named Ford. And Kennedy was shot in a car called Lincoln. Made by Ford. <laughs> Booth and Oswald were assassinated before their trials. And Lincoln was shot in a theater. And the assassin ran to a warehouse. And Kennedy was shot from a warehouse and the assassin ran to a... History merely repeats itself. But watch this. Here's the kicker. You ready? A week before Lincoln was shot, 
He was in Monroe, Maryland. And a week before Kennedy was shot, he was with Marilyn Monroe. History merely repeats itself. There is nothing new. I'm sorry to the Epicureans, the Stoics, the Athenians, and those that were living their life just for some new adventure, some new high. But here's the thing that the Bible is telling us very clearly through Solomon, that distraught preacher who had lived his life. Looking back, he is saying there is nothing new that can satisfy that insatiable appetite for something new. It's not there. Under the sun, it's not there. He said, listen, history just merely repeats itself. He said, what has been in your past will be in your future. But it's not as neat as the little thing I just read to you. What he was doing was painting a very bleak picture for our humanity. He was saying that one generation passeth away and another generation cometh and the earth abideth forever. What he was saying was, he's saying people come and people go. That's the way it's always been and that's the way that it always will be. People are fickle and people will come, yes, but they will also so leave and you've got to wrap your mind around it there's nothing new under the sun people will come and people will go but the earth abideth forever but when he said the earth abideth forever he was making the point that God the thing that he had said in creation he, he, he is saying that it will remain in motion he goes on Ecclesiastes 1 and 5 he says the sun also rises and the sun goeth down and hasteth to the place where it rose the wind goeth toward the south and turneth about unto the north and it whirleth about continually. The wind returneth again according to its circuits. He says in verse 7, And all the rivers into the sea, yet the sea is not full unto the place from whence the rivers come. Thither they return again. Hear me. I want you to understand in all that he wrote, he was saying, listen, the things God set in motion in creation, will remain in motion. There's nothing new. He's, he's painting the picture. That here's the context for when he said that what has been what is what shall be is the context of God, the things he set in motion. When he put the sun in the sky and he set the stars where they are, he, he's saying that the circuits of the wind, that when they blow, when the sun rises, you know it's going to set, but it's going to rise again. It's just going to be these repetitive cycles that you will not be able to break free from. That's why he's saying he put that sun in the sky to rule the day and it ruled the day and still rules the day of this this world listen and he's saying like there's all these circuits he's saying the rivers all of them run into the sea but even the sea's not full so he's saying listen the rivers they pour out just like we pour out but still the sea is not full because they are trapped in this unbroken unrelenting cycle of life there is nothing new and we know the tragedy of life just lived in these unbroken cycles. Generational things that are passed down. All this stuff that, that's going on. He, this is the picture. And this is what he ultimately says. Bring verse 13, I think it is. Maybe, maybe yeah, verse 13 and 14 in the New Living Translation. Here's what his conclusion is of all of it. He says, I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything being done under heaven. I soon discovered 
that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. I observed everything going on under the sun, and really, it is all meaningless, like chasing the wind. I'm sorry. This is a very downer message. There's nothing new. I'm sorry. I'm trying to paint this picture as bleak as possible. He said what has been in your past, if you struggle with it in your past, you're going to struggle with it in your future. If you fought with it in your past, you're gonna, I'm sorry. It's just part of life. It's part of the cycles. You just, you know. So if it was in your family, in your past, it's going to be in your children. If it was in your parents, it's going to be in your children. He's just saying that's, that's what it is. There's, there's nothing new under the sun. And how depressing must it have been for Solomon to come to this realization but then listen I, I didn't give you this verse because God gave it to me because I was reading this and I was like man this is kind of depressing there's nothing new it's like people people are going to come people are going to go like the rivers they pour out but still sea's not full just like you pour into people and still the house isn't full and it's just it's just how it is so there's really he's, he's really saying it's all meaningless why do you even try you know, but then I read this stupid verse of scripture. In the, in, in the stupid verse of scripture, it's verse 15 of all this. And it says this. I read it. I was like, man, I was almost depressed. Like, there's nothing new. Why? Everything's meaningless. We've just been tra dealt this tragic existence that's meaningless. There's nothing new. Right? But here's what the verse said. You don't have to pull it up or anything. Yeah, go ahead. Open the Bible. I dare you. Pull up Ecclesiastes. I want him to read it. I want somebody else beside me to get the revelation. Ecclesiastes 1 and 15. Wait a minute. You hear what that just said? That which is crooked could not be made straight. Now, I make a habit about reading the Bible every day because I realize that like David, you know what he killed Goliath with? Well, I, yeah, you could say what well, he killed a lot, but here, here, here he, he killed Goliath with what he took time to put in his bag. Right? If a stone wasn't there, a stone never killed Goliath. But he took time enough to take something and put it in his bag. He took a stone and he put it in his bag. So you take the word of God and you put it in your bag. And I read that scripture where he's, he's moping around. He said, I've seen it all. There's nothing new. If it was in the past, it'll be in the future. History's just merely repeating itself. And we've always struggled with this. We're always going to struggle with that. And he's going through it. Like, ah, it's so depressing. But then he said, and the crooked would not be made straight. And I said, Wait a minute. My Bible says, I'm sorry, I feel preach coming on me right now. My Bible said that when John the Baptist came, about John the Baptist, there would be a one a voice crying in the wilderness that every valley should be filled and every mountain and hill shall be brought low and the crooked shall be made straight hear me somebody what I'm trying to tell to you what 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 Solomon said was 100% true he said there is nothing new under the sun uh, 
So I saw, I read that verse and it may, I said, okay, wait a minute. We've got to do a little bit of study. So Isaiah 43 and 18, the prophet, while there is an understanding that there's nothing new, if you are subject under that son, under the law that God set in motion in creation, there is nothing new. But Isaiah 43 and 18 says, remember ye not the former things. Neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth and ye shall not know it. I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. He was a prophet getting them ready for something new. But how can Solomon be 100% correct but this prophet be right as well? Isaiah 53 and 18, 19, New Living Translation, he says, forget all that. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do, for I am about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. Hear me. I said, but how, how could that be true if there's nothing new? But Malachi said this. Ready? Verse chapter 4, verse 2. This is the last book, the last chapter of the last book in the Old Testament. And here's what it says. Verse 2. Watch this. But for you who fear my name, the Son of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. And all of a sudden, I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. There was a thing in the Old Testament, they called it the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Every time you hear about the law, yeah. ugh, lint on my tongue. Ugh. Don't do that when you're preaching. Don't announce that when you're preaching, okay? <laughs> don't ever do, don't, I'm, a, I'm a terrible example, okay? Don't do that, right? But what he's saying is, the law of, uh, of the Medes and Persians with altereth not, it's literally saying this. It, they could not alter the law once it was already set in motion. But they could write a new law. That's the only way they could undo the old laws by writing a new law. They could never undo the old one, but they could write a new one. That's why they called it the law of the Medes and Persians with altereth not. You can't alter it, but you can write a new law that supersedes the old law. So listen, that's why when God set the sun in creation, he set the sun to rule the day. But the sun has ruled the day until now. There was in the last chapter of the last book of the Old Testament, he was saying, listen, in the Old Testament, you were subject to that law and you were subject to being under that sun and those cycles and those circuits and those seasons. But listen, the Bible was telling you that there's another sun about to rise that's going to rule hey this day and when there's a new sun there's a new law that was written so when he made a new law by the rising of a new sun that would rule this day he was saying I'm about to do something new you ready you ready and here's what God showed me 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 this is the crux of the message you ready? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things. All things. See, under that sun, when we are subject to that sun, 
There is no thing new. But the Lord spoke to me. He said the difference is you can be under the sun, but there's a difference between being under the sun and in the sun. He said, because in Christ, all things become new. Under the sun, there's no thing new. I'm depressed. I'm subject to the same sin. I'm subject to the same struggles. I'm struggle. I'm, I'm subject to the same back and forth of fickle people when I'm under that sun. But when I'm in the sun, I am no longer subject to the same law of sin and death. But I am subject now to the law of spirit and life. So you don't have the right to just wander around sucking your thumb. You do if you're subject to the sun and being under it. But I am not under. That's why he could do a new thing. Because he said, I'm not under the sun. So I'm not subject. That's why he can do miracles. That's why he can create things new because he's not subject to the old law of that son that ruled that day. Ah. Ah. And I just come to preach to Harvest House. I, I don't know what, what Bishop preached. I mean, Jake, and you gave me a little something, something, but I still, I don't, I, you can't grasp what was in, in a text message. You can't, you can't. But I just came and I just felt like God was telling me. I'm about to do something new. But you've got to prepare. You've got to make yourself ready. I'm not subject to, to the same old struggles that I've always been subject to. If you, if you are, you're not in Christ. But if you're in Christ, he's going to make all things new because how do you get in Christ obviously therefore we are buried with him by baptism into his death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the father even so that we should walk in the newness of life because Romans 8 and 2 says for the law of the spirit of life of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh See, that's what that law was for. To show you you couldn't do it. Although the law, in that it was weak through the flesh. I believe that's what God has been trying to show us through all the virus and everything that's been going on. It's showing us that we are weak in the flesh. But God... Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. We're wore out, we're tired. God's making a point. But God, I'm, oh my God. You hear me? I don't want you to just take this as preaching fodder. But God is about to do something brand new. But are you ready? What does new look like? I don't know. I've never seen it. 
But you have to be ready for whatever new is. What is it? A new vision? What is it? New, 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 new. I don't know what it is, but hear me. The Lord spoke to me, and I'm going to share a story with you, that we are coming to the conclusion of a prophetic cycle. And we are no longer going to be subject to the same prophetic cycles that we've been operating in. So get ready. Because here's what God showed me. You ready? This verse of Scripture is what God gave me. For this night, I, I've never shared this in this context before. You may have heard me mention it, but Matthew 9 and 17 says, Neither do men put new wine into old bottles, else the bottles break and the wine runneth out. In other words, you got to do this thing right because you might lose everything you've invested. But if you do it right, they put new wine in new bottles and both are preserved what the past investment and the potential Amen. see you can't have new in an old context so what they would do was there's two Greek words in this passage of scripture two Greek words for the word new right new wine it's the word Neos, which is brand new, never been before. It is freshly created. But the other Greek word when it's talking about new bottles or new wineskin, it's the word kaneos. Not just neos, but kaneos. It's to renew. Right? So watch this. He said, if you want to preserve the investment that you've had for the last 15 years, but still inherit what God has for you next you have to put new wine in old wineskins or new wineskins I mean but here's the thing new wineskins that word canios is to renew to rework to revamp it's literally what they would do they would take those old leathered animal skins that they would use for the wineskins that were pliable in the beginning but they had just been through so much and they had poured out so much that they got dry and they got more brittle and they would they would shrivel down and not be able to contain as much so what they would have to do they would have to renew them them. And what they would do to renew them, that they would completely empty them out to the place where they could take them, fully immerse them in oil, and, and begin to rework that leather. And they would begin to put it underneath water and implement oil. But when they and see, it's kind of like the season that we're in. You were completely poured out, and God is. And what they would do after they submerged it and, and, and interjected the oil and worked the oil into it, they would begin to stretch it back to its complete capacity stretching it to the limits and to the max almost to the breaking point it would this is what renewal looks like they would stretch it they pour it out and empty it out and then they'd stretch it to the breaking point and what they would do was they would have a season of no wine to prepare it for new wine. And I seen Harvest House like a wineskin. And I'm not talking about this building. I care less about this building. I, I like the updates. I love everything you do. But when I saw Harvest House, I saw God stretch. 
stretching. I saw God bringing you to a place, enlarging your capacity to receive more. But he was saying it was the seasons of no wine that he was using to prepare you for new wine. Right now, I just want you to lift your hands. God was stretching, stretching. Because the devil's tried to convince you that there's nothing new. There's nothing new. You, you've done all you can do. You've seen people come. You've seen people go. And you're frustrated in your faith. But I've come to preach, yes, there is nothing new under the sun. And that's 100% right. But we are not subject to that sun because we are in another. So God can do something new. There is a revival. There is harvest. There is something that God is yet to do. See, I don't even know what I'm saying when I'm saying this. I'm just saying God's about to do something new. But what does that mean to you? What is God showing you? I'm saying He can give you a new vision, a fresh vision, because He's closing the door on a prophetic cycle. And He's about to open a brand new door of a new season and a new cycle. But we have to have our minds wrapped around. That's what He was saying about the new wine. He's saying, I can't do a new thing in an old mentality. You've got to get your mind wrapped around the fact that God is going to do it. I don't know how, but he's going to do it. Now one more. In the name of Jesus. Now hear me. Because he said, this is how we preserve. This is how we preserve. Because you can lose your investment over your last season. Or you can maintain it. And also have your potential. How do you do it? How do you do it? You need a new context for new wine. Whatever that means. But here's, here's what I'm, I'm going to say this. And we'll just, I'll let you guys do whatever you feel to do. But I came here knowing that, that the will of God and the work of God, the kingdom of God, runs on seasons, cycles, and circuits. Just like creation. It runs on seasons, cycles, and circuits. That's what Solomon knew. Sunrise and sunsets. It runs on circuits. It's just the way that things work. But I felt like God was saying, we're coming to the conclusion of a prophetic season. A season of years of a completion of what he set in motion.
I, I don't know what that means. I don't, he was telling me this. Not, this wasn't for you at first. And something happened, and God proved this to me, that my cousin, who was one of the main reasons why I was in church, he had got out of prison. He was living at the church, the church plant, small church, like just like about this many people. He was living at the church, and he was helping the church to grow. And I wanted to see him, so I went to church. But the story of him with my pastor in Iowa was that he, my pastor, knew him back in the day from a job. They used to work together. But here's the thing. My pastor in Iowa, he had such a burden for my cousin. And I had no clue about this. But he had a burden one day so bad for my cousin that he told his wife, get in the car. I don't know, we just got to go find Jerry. There's something going on. We just got to go find Jerry. And so they get in the car, and they begin to drive. And they began driving throughout Des Moines. He doesn't know where to go. My pastor just driving. And then all of a sudden, they get up to an intersection. He said, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. And then he looks over at the car next to him. He said, babe, right there. There he is. And he was sitting there. Tears already strolling down his face because he was there in that car crying out for answers. God led that man there. And there was a prophetic cycle that began. Because it was Jerry's life that God used to reach my mother, which ultimately reached, re reached me, which reached, um, I, I don't know how many people. We had like about 80 people in the church at the time. My pastor said, how many of you have been influenced by Ryan Near? The whole church stood up. Because we had won many of them and discipled many of the ministers that were there. And they all stood up. And it was all because of, uh, of that intersection right there that life just happened. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. You ready for this? It was whatever night we got in. I think Tuesday night at about 10 o'clock, I received a phone call that my mom was completely disturbed. She said, Ryan, Ryan, my nephew's gone. I said, what, what, you know, what's going on? He was on a motorcycle with his girlfriend. He's a prodigal. He didn't stay in church. I stayed in church. He was a prodigal now. And he just walked away from God. And he, and he knew, he knew, he knew what was right. And he would always come back. He would see us after the, every time he'd see me, he'd just start weeping and crying because he would see me as a preacher. And he knew what he was supposed to do. He knew that he was supposed to, but he wasn't living the life that he knew to live. But here's the thing. He was on a motorcycle with him and his uh, girlfriend, and his sister was on another motorcycle. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a Mercedes Benz was coming down the road, and it kind of swerved in their lane, hit them head on, and killed both of them. Oh. It shook us, because I wouldn't be in church if it wasn't for him. But now, being a prodigal child, he knew what to do. But... Brother Millie, he texted me today. I'm going to read you the text and help you to grasp what I'm talking about. He said this. And I mind you, I hadn't talked to him for a year. Because we moved to Missouri. 
I hadn't talked to him for a year, and he, he texted me out of nowhere because this was the man that he had won that had now become a prodigal, had just been killed in an accident. And he said, hey, hey, I've been kind of in shock. If you need anything, let me know. I said, it really was a shock, but thank you. I appreciate that. And he said this, he was killed at the exact intersection where we ran into him, where he was praying to God for answers. Folks, we are coming to the end of a season. And we must be ready to move. We must be ready for whatever new and whatever that means. God is saying, if we are going to have the promise, the potential, and not lose our investment, we must be ready. He says, behold, I do something new, but will you be a part of it? Are we just going to be subject to the same old, same old, the back and forth of fickle people? I say no. Come on, the only way to preserve your investment is to move forward. The only way to preserve your investment is saying, you know what? I'm not subject to that same old depression. I'm not subject. Everyone right now, lift your hands. There's a new cycle that's beginning tonight. There's a new cycle that's beginning right now. Come on, let the wind show you where to go. Let the wind show you what to do. I'm telling you, God's going to give you a fresh word, a new vision to prepare you. telling you right now Nicole there's a reason why you're here right now there's a reason why you're here it's the end of the back and forth it's the end of it right now we're closing the door there must be a new season begin there must be something brand new that starts tonight Come on, I'm calling you out right now. I, I don't mean to embarrass you in any way, shape, or form. But God is calling to you and saying, make it right. No more back and forth. No more up and down. He's saying the cycle break, breaks tonight. So lift your hands right now. <laughs> Something new. Something new.
on, I'm going to keep speaking. And you're not going to be defined by your last season. You will be defined by your next season. Come on, that's it, Jake. And right now, I'm, t- I'm prophesying there's an open window right now for you to see a fresh vision. Come on, just open your mouth and begin to speak to God right now. Here I am, God. Here I am, God. Come on, we're at an intersection right now, church. Come on, we're at an intersection right now. You've been praying for answers. You've been praying for direction. And God said something new. You can't keep doing the same old, same old thing and be subject to the same old results. But God is saying something new. Come on, do something different. Let God say, show you what to do, but do something different. Come on, Father, I pray new wine. New wine. Simon and Tina. name of Jesus.
Come on. This new, this new God may have already given you glimpses. But receive it right now. God says do it. Well, what will we lose here? You'll lose it all if you don't obey God. Just obey God. That's all God's asking you. Jesus' name. You hear me? The Lord spoke to me. It was after a lot of loss here. We've all lost this last year. We lost my wife's grandfather. We lost Papa. We lost my stepdad. We lost my, my uncle, Mike. We, we, we lost my, um, my, I lost my spiritual father. I lost a lot, a lot of things this last year, but the Lord spoke to me, and he said this, Pastor Orton. He said, he said, those that have lost the most will have the greatest leverage to lead in the last days because there's one common thread that's connected the entire world, and it's loss. But now that you're subject to the same storm, but you have a different response, although subject to the same storm, you can have leverage to lead those that have lost as well. Okay? There's people waiting on you. And they've lost and they don't know how to cope. But you've lost and you've been dealing with it. And you've kept a right spirit about it. And in doing so, you have been equipped to lead who he's now calling you to lead. So it's, we've all lost. We've all lost. We've all watched people walk away. But here's the thing. You now have the leverage to lead those that have experienced loss, but they don't have what you have. In Jesus' name. But I believe it. I just feel it, Sister Orton. I just, I just feel like God is... He's letting down that sheet knitted with the four corners again. Peter in a trance sees that vision coming down because the next step was far beyond anything that they've done up until this point in the book of Acts. It's a whole demographic of people that had not yet been reached and God was letting down that knitted garment by the four corners that had all those unclean animals and they were being let down and God had to do it three times. Why? Because God was trying to give him a vision. Remember, because God always opens a window before he ever opens a door. And that's why you've been given glimpses of places and cities and communities. Because he's saying, listen, I, I, I'm trying to prepare you for the door you're going to walk through. So I had to give you the vision before I could open the door. So your faith was acclimated for the places I'll take you. And that's what he was saying. The next step is so far beyond what we've already experienced. People are not going to understand sometimes because people are people. But letting that garment down, God was saying, let me give you a vision of what I have planned. Let me, let me give you a glimpse. Because then, once he had the vision, there was a knock at the door. 
because the vision always precedes the open door. So we must have a vision. Because a lot of people, uh, they just, they're not ready for new. But God knows that. So he'll prepare them through a vision, through, and you've heard many words and you're, you, you're wrestling with it. What are, you, what are you wrestling with? I'm telling you, the door's about to open. You've had the glimpses, you've had the vision, the door's about to open. But do you realize what was happening in that house that he was staying in? Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. You know what a tanner is? A tanner. The, the Jews had a very unique relationship with the tanners because the tanners could touch what the Jews couldn't touch. And they would handle the unclean animal skins and make it parched skins which they could write on. And they would write the Torah. So in the back door would come the unclean animals. And they would send it through a ceremonial process of cleansing to make it ready to have the Word of God written on it. And then go out the front door with the Jewish nation and they would put the Torah on it. Now, here's, here's, what, here's what God was doing through this season of Paul or, or Peter staying in that house. You ready? He was preparing Peter for the Gentiles that were unclean. That's why he showed him the vision of the unclean animals. It was giving him a vision. There's a bunch of unclean animals. He's like, no, 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 I have not put anything in my mouth. He said, no, 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 I'm not talking about you taking part in it. I'm talking about you assimilating them into the body of Christ. When he said slay and eat, he was talking about not you becoming what they are, but them becoming what you are. You them assimilate. And, and guess what? That's what happened every day. There was unclean animals being brought into that house. And God was saying, and here's what I hear God speaking that God was doing in this house over the season that you've been here. God has been preparing you for where he's about and what he's about to do with and through you. To open the door to the Gentiles. You understand? So everything you've gone through was preparing you to reach. It was stretching you. It was the old wineskins. It was making you the re you know what? So it's like it's not in vain. All that it's not nothing is lost. Jerry is not lost. I told a girl today, she she texts me. She's one of the girls I won to the Lord. Discipled her. She's in ministry right now. She said, I'm just kind of shook because if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here. And I said, well, he was a coin spent to purchase a greater purpose. Just like Stephen was spent to purchase Paul. You said you wanted to be spent and be spent. Right? So don't, don't base don't base God's will on a building. Okay? This is, this is old wineskin. You dolled it up real nice, but it's old wineskin. Get ready. God's so much bigger. He just don't want you to fill the house. He wants you to fill the cities. With the doctrine. And here's, here's this, 
this staggering I'm sorry I'm talking so much I just I get I get into a flow and I just okay because here's the thing I've come over a startling statistic that rocks our Pentecostal traditions you ready that if you lived a life 70 years and you're his age 70 years down the road you've been in church every service Sunday morning Sunday night Wednesday or Thursday midweek whatever but two hours on average three times a week every time the church doors are open what yes yeah you know how long you have spent in church of a life lived for 70 years 11 months over 70 years not even a year you spent in here but we put the predominant focus of our faith here something has to change in our mentality to accommodate new because we put the predominant focus here but it's not here it's going to be out there so we've got to get this revelation and we've got to understand God whatever new looks like I want to be ready for it. Whatever new looks like. I'm here to tell you because what God will do. What God will do. You know, I fought tooth and nail. 2019, I went home. And my pastor at the time said, I want you to come home. I feel like you have something to offer the church. And I felt like I was raised to be a pastor. And I never got the opportunity. I assisted him for a while. And the church grew. It exploded. He said, come back for 2019. We had our baby girl. It was wonderful. I loved being home. It was the most difficult year in my life. But I loved it. Because here's the thing that God showed me. That we started putting a lot of things in practice that were only theory when we were evangelizing. Leadership concepts and everything. But here's what we did, Bethany. We, I said, man, we've got we've to do something different. We have got to create, because you create different venues to facilitate different depths of ministry. Jesus had four different types of ministry. He had the ministry to the multitude. He did the ministry to the 70, the 12, and the 3. They were all different depths of ministry. Because what we try to do is try to take the mountaintop to the multitude, but they can't handle it. So you have to create different venues. He would get the multitude away and start telling parables to the 70. But when they didn't understand the parables, he'd break it down to the 12. And then he would show the three what he could show nobody else. So you have to create different venues. So what we do with the Sunday morning services, we create a context for the multitude to receive the mountain. But that doesn't work. And we frustrate our faith. So what we need to know is the different venues. So I said, we've got to do something different. We've got to create a venue for fellowship. We've got to do something house to house. And my pastor, he, he just, he was, he was old school in his thinking. He's just like, well, we just, we're not. He, and here's what he said to me. I'm going to be honest with you. He said, he said we're not going to build a church like a Baptist. I said, oh, okay, okay. So he said, uh, he said, we're not going to do it. And I was like, all right, all right. And I wasn't going to fight my pastor because he's my pastor. So what I did was I just applied the principle to my personal life. And I started teaching Bible studies. And at my mom's house, we'd go over there Thursday night. We'd teach a Bible study. We'd have food. We'd have fellowship. And I'm telling you, we had every different walk of life start to come in. And I started teaching to people that had no clue about the oneness, had no clue about anything. And people in that living room were getting revelation. There was one service. It was so powerful. I taught for about 30 minutes and brought one last scripture that tied the oneness of God and baptism together in just one lump sum. And I'm telling you what, when that scripture was brought up, I hijacked my mom's television. And I put it up there on the screen. I had my phone just 
just like Jacob was doing. I uh, put it up there, and they're all, and I'm telling you, it was like the day of Pentecost. You heard revelation sweep into that room. And everybody looked at their arm and went, wow. And they knew who Jesus was. But here's the thing. We had people getting baptized in Jesus' name, getting the Holy Ghost, but they'd never once been in church. And I taught them for three months. And there was standing room only in that house. And there was one Sunday I said, because I was listening, I was like, don't come to church yet. Don't come to church yet. I was discipling. They had their own churches. I was discipling before they even came to church. And three months they had teaching. They knew the oneness. They knew baptism. They knew the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. And when they came that Sunday... It filled the entire sanctuary with people that had never set foot in the sanctuary. And my pastor said, where'd all these people come from? I said, you know, those house-to-house groups that you didn't want to do? I just kind of went and I, I did it, applied it to my personal life because we didn't want to do it for the church. I said, that's where they all came from. And many of them got the Holy Ghost. And then I asked him, I said, would you like to come and teach tomorrow night at the house house he came and he taught he was so blown away by what was taking place because it wasn't just the teaching it was the fellowship afterward we had people getting the holy ghost during fellowship because when you give the people a chance to speak and tell where they're at i'm telling you there's something that happens and they begin to speak and cry and weep as they begin to tell their story and then they would get the holy ghost not while i'm preaching but while they're speaking and then i'm telling you when he's seen that he said this is what we need to do this is what we need to do so they changed everything. In the next year, 2020 comes, and I'm, I'm we we uh, transitioned out in February. But before they left, they made it a, the thing that they would do. They called them their house to house groups, and watch what they did. House to house groups. They had three different groups all over the place, and they were going to do the same concept because it was creating a different venue to facilitate a different depth of ministry, right? Because it and it just worked. But here was the thing. Here was the thing. In February, we started because we did January's as sign-up. Every Sunday was sign-up Sunday where you choose. There were different topics. We were teaching on the heart, the mind, and the heart, the mind, and the spirit. There was three groups that we were teaching. You get to choose which one you want to be a part of and where it's going to be held at, right? And we did sign-up Sundays. February came. That's when it started, all right? But here's the thing. We could only, we said, our groups are only going to be 10 in number. If it gets beyond 10, you have to split and create another group. Right? So we had 10 in number. Okay? So we don't want to get any bigger because we don't want to lose the, the intimacy of it all. Right? But here's the thing. That was in February. We moved at the end of February. Then March came. And something happened in March that shook our nation. Shook the world. Right? And then they came and they told us no church and no bigger than 10. That's fine. God had already given us the structure. That's what I'm talking about when God can give you a vision and he can show you and he can prepare you and he can make you ready for whatever's going down the road, coming down the road. It's like, I do not believe that we are called to be reactionary. We are called to be a prophetic people, a visionary people that we do not get caught off guard because Jesus, he'd go early in the morning, he'd pray. And that's why they never caught him off guard. He was already ready. He had an answer. And I'm telling you, we could be the same type of people that we don't have to be frustrated in our faith because we're reactionary to whether people show up or not i'm telling you god is trying to prepare us and ready us and he can give us vision and he can give us wisdom and i believe i got another message on on, on next thursday i'm telling you i have i have i i, I want to preach it so bad because i know that it's going to minister
But I want you to get this first. I want you to prepare your heart, prepare your mind one more time. I just want you to close your... I think my wife's calling me. I hear my phone buzzing. I want you to just close your eyes right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to answer my phone. Father, whatever this means to them, let them receive it. Father, I pray seal the seed that has been sown. I pray dreams and visions. I pray ministering angels to go with them to affirm and confirm. Sika o he is a representation of a new season okay and I'm telling you just like you nurture him nurture the vision that God's given nurture the dreams okay as careful and considerate as you are with him that's your mascot Jesus name you ready all right. all right let me spray this off before I give it to you because I don't I don't want any cooties that I may have Jesus name I believe is what we need Amen. Brother Nira, a good hand. Praise God.